Let's see how. Does it look any better? That is perfect. Oh, perfection is our desired outcome. <laughs> I used to uh, run a company that involved men, and whenever a mistake was made, I would say, well, now remember the company motto. We may be slow, but we're very clumsy. <laughs> I like it. Okay, that, that Islam is not a religion. It is a religion, but mostly it is a political system. And there are 91 verses which direct the Quran towards Muhammad. We have everything in Islam is found in three books, which I call the trilogy, Quran, Sirah, Hadith. When you go through these books and collect the statistics, 51% of the trilogy, which is the entire Islamic doctrine, is about the Kafir. How there are two Muhammads and two Qurans. And so therefore, if you prove Muhammad was good, that doesn't prove anything else about him, because later he was another way. He was both a religious preacher and then a politician. Uh, the Islamic calendar, which is a political, even the calendar of Islam is a political act because they choose to start the calendar, not when the Quran was revealed or when Muhammad was born, but when they migrated to Medina where they became political. And then I give an example on a street prayer, that is you've got a street prayer, people say, well, that's for freedom of religion. Praying is religious. Commandeering the street is a political action. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the different kinds of jihad, we have jihad of the speech, writing, money, and then we have the inner struggle, which is the 2% jihad. That is, 2% of the jihad in the Quran is about uh, religion. The other 98% is about overcoming the kafir. Muhammad was involved in 95 acts of jihad in nine years. In, and uh, we have uh, my 270 million people killed over, 20, over 9, 1,400 years. These are all political actions. War is political, not religious. May have a religious motivation, but it is. But the action of it itself is political. Um, it, it's my objective that we show this up for what it is. So one of the things before we actually sort of just uh, we'll do the introductions in a couple of minutes, and that's when obviously we'll start the interview as such. But um, quite rightly, uh, you've pointed out the political element, and that is what you try and show people. It's not just a religion; it is actually about politics. One of the things that I am trying to do, and the judge that this is going up, up with and has been in front of, is um, he's, he's a, the, the judge that is going up in front of in the High Court, he's written books on human rights, and uh, there are large elements of what's known as Human Rights Act in, in uh, two, uh, 1998, I believe it was, in the UK. It's been uh, passed as law. He is an expert on that, and if we can remove the religious status of Islam in this country, it will have a massive effect on everybody. Because oh, I have a massive, uh, I hate to tell you this, it'll be more than England, it'll have a massive effect in the world. Correct. Well, the Commonwealth is 2.3 billion people, and, and that doesn't include the common law countries. So America is a common law country, but it isn't part of the Commonwealth. True. So it, it, it then relates to America as well, because they'll say, okay, well, that's common law. They've looked at something. What have they looked at? Why have they come to this conclusion? That has massive effect. No, and we have truth on our side. The trouble is we don't have politics on our side. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it is astounding to me. When I was a young boy, I thought that judges delivered their opinions based on law. Well, in America, they sometimes do that, but in general, they base their opinion on what they like politically. Yeah. 
you can tell the way a man votes how I'll do a legal decision, unfortunately, many times. Yeah, no, I agree. So, well, shall we start? Yeah, no problem at all. So, um, I mean, I just obviously want to say uh, thank you to uh, Dr. Bill Walner for, for coming on the show tonight and having a, this conversation with us. Did, uh, my name is Graham Moore. This is the Full English um, on Motivate Radio. So one of the things I want to first say to, to Bill is, do you want to just give yourself an introduction so people know exactly who you are and what it is that you do? Well, I'm a retired college professor and businessman who runs a book publishing company. I've written, a, I don't know, a dozen or 15 books on Islam, and I specialize on political Islam. I bring a very rational approach to Islam. I don't deal with the religion, but the political side. And my life is entirely devoted to educating the world about the truth in political Islam. And if you have any curiosity about what I do and say, go to my website, politicalislam.com. Thank you very much. So, I mean, again, um, if we can go through a few things we, 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 in relation to it being uh, political Islam, I mean, normally we, we, we would try, try and take this through some sort of structure because it's easier to understand once it's structured. So how would you explain it to someone? If you was explaining this now to, for example, a judge or someone in, in authority that had no idea whatsoever about what it was, they, they understand... Islam as, uh, you know, if, 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 if one person or one person in humanity is murdered, then all of humanity is murdered, and that's what they believe it's about, when we all know it isn't. Well, oddly enough, let's take that one verse you quoted, which is quoted many, many, many times. However, they never quote you the first phrase of that verse. The first phrase in that verse is, and unto the Jews we gave the commandment that whoever kills one, it is though they killed all of humanity. To the Jews we gave that commandment, and the very next verse describes a political action, which is jihad against the kafir, the unbeliever. So you've chosen a, a, a sort of juicy piece of low-hanging fruit there. Right. But if we're going to have any talk about Islam, wouldn't it be kind of nice if we defined Islam? No one ever does, and yet I think we should. Most people think that Islam is a religion found in the Quran. But anybody who reads the Quran is struck by a fact that although there are five pillars of Islam, you can't practice a single one of the five pillars based on what's in the Quran. So, where's the rest of the Islam? Because how do we practice the five pillars? Well, there are 91 verses in the Quran which state that every Muslim is to follow the perfect example, the Sunnah, S-U-N-N-A, of Muhammad. Now, where do we find Muhammad? Well, we find him in the Sirah, S-I-R-A, which is his biography of 800 pages. We find him in the Hadith, which are his traditions. And there's Many collectors, Bukhari, for instance, has 7,000 collected stories that Muhammad was involved in. So now we're ready to define Islam. Islam is the political religious doctrine found in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. If it is in those three books, it is Islam. Here's something equally important. If it is not in those three books, it is not Islam. I don't care if it's the head of Al-Azhar University talking to you. We have only two experts, Muhammad and Allah. And what I try to teach people to do is how to speak of Islam using only the words and actions of Muhammad and the words and actions of Allah. So that's, we've now defined Islam. Do we need to go ahead now and define political Islam? Yeah, God. All right. Now here's something interesting. If you take these three books, Quran, Sirah, Hadith, and you sort them out into piles, that is, there's two kinds of words in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. There's words about how to be a Muslim, and then there's words about the kafir, the unbeliever. 
What's odd is, is that there's more about the Kafir, the unbeliever. 51% of the Quran, Sir Hadith is devoted to the Kafir. Only 49% is devoted to the Muslim. So I define the part devoted to the Kafir as being political. Why political and not religious? Because I'm a Kafir. I have nothing to do with the religion of Islam. No Kafir does. That's the definition of a, of a Kafir. So therefore, political Islam is the part of Islam that deals with the Kafir, the non-Muslim. So when I'm told, well, you can't understand it because you're not a Muslim, I say, wait a minute, you have something written down about me that I cannot understand? I don't think that's true. I think I can understand anything anybody says about me. So political Islam is the part of Islam that deals with the kafir, the non-believer. Right. And, and so when you say that it's 51%, um, you refer to, 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 the, to the kafir, yeah, and that means, obviously, anybody that is a non-Muslim. If you do not believe that Muhammad was the prophet of Allah and that the Quran is a perfect, complete book, then you're a kafir. Right, okay. And by the way, why do I use that word? Because that is the Arabic word. Right. So I'm using the precisely correct word. I'm using the same word Allah uses. How correct can you be? No, I agree entirely. I absolutely agree with that statement, in, in, indeed. And uh, well, so to 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 reference something else. I mean, it, I don't want to skip off of the structure of of how we would persuade someone. And and in law, um, when you're speaking to a judge or even a jury, there won't be a jury in this case. This is about persuasion. That the art of law is to persuade. So for me to be able to persuade, there will be people saying to me, why do you refer to, to um, people that are Muslims, for example, or Islamists as Mohammedans, which is what I refer to them as? Well, that word used to be used everywhere, including in the finest universities, Oxford and Cambridge, for instance. Right. Let's go back to what I said originally. There are 91 verses which say that a Muslim is to follow the exact perfect example, the Sunnah of Muhammad. Now, let's, we've got these three books, Quran, Sirah, Hadith. Let's measure them again. It turns out that if we put those three books on a table, you'd look and go, wow, the Quran's not very big compared to the biography of Muhammad, the Sirah, and the traditions. If we take and measure all the words in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith, we'll discover that only 14% of those words are found in the Quran. So only 14% of the Islamic doctrine is found in the Quran. 86% of it is found in the Sirah, his biography, and the Hadith, his traditions. So therefore, if you're following the doctrine of Muhammad, why can't you call it Muhammadism? Seems perfectly logical. It's not an insult. It's exquisitely logical, as a matter of fact. It used to be very common. Yeah. Look, we have studied Islam so little that in America, for instance, we can't even agree on how to spell the word Muslim. Is it M-O-S-L-E-M? Or is it M-U-S-L-I-M. Yeah. And how do you spell Quran? Is it K-O-R-A-N or is it Q-U-R-A-N? This is how ignorant we are about Islam. Think about what I've just said. Oh, I agree. Uh, well, again, I'll, I'll refer back to, to, to the truth tellers. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but in the uh, 1800s, we had a very famous prime minister he was the four he was four times prime minister in the united kingdom and um he basically said um that that 
and he held the Quran above his head in Parliament and actually quoted people and said, all the time this book exists, there will be no peace in the world. And that, I believe that was Sir William uh, Gladstone. A great man. Let me apply a little analysis to the Quran that he held up. There are two Qurans. There's an early Quran written in Mecca and a latter Quran written in Medina. Yep. The first Quran in Mecca has no jihad in it at all. But the second Quran, the latter Quran written in Medina, did I say Medina? Mecca has no jihad, but in Medina, 24% of the Quran written in, in Medina is about jihad. Yep. So, again, I think we need to bring, look, our Western civilization has as its cornerstone critical thought, scientific thought, rational thought. And if you'll notice as you're talking to me, I try to be very rational. 91 verses, 14%, 21%, da-da-da-da-da. That is, everything that I say can be verified. This is not an opinion. This is objective thought. Well, that, that is exactly what, what we need for this case. And, and obviously you're aware that um, I've put your book as, as evidence to... The judge. Again, jumping back one, and we'll go through the structure, I want to give you an example of something, and you can tell me um, whether it's a good analogy of what uh, Islam does, if you like. Um, we know that they they pray five times a day. Um, anyone can pray. I've not got an issue with that whatsoever. What I have got an issue with is when they commandeer the streets. Because as you say, that becomes a political statement, not a religious one. So, for example, um, there are certain things that we are allowed to do uh, in the Commonwealth. Um, you can't, this doesn't relate to America, but it certainly does to the 2.3 billion that, that reside under the Commonwealth throne, if you like. Because mm -hmm. we are subjects of the Queen. We have got something called the Magna Carta that the Americans' uh, cousins also refer to. In that, there is something that's been enacted uh, from 1215, which is known as Article 61, which is lawful rebellion. Now, just to really? give you an example, we are, we've, we've, we're already in lawful rebellion. There's a number of things that we're doing. Um, but one of the things that we are doing is we are taking control of, for example, the largest motorway in London, which is the M25. And when we take control of that under Article 61, we intend to pray as Christians. And what we're asking, is that a political statement or is that a religious statement? Well, my opinion is, is that if I go out here with a group of, any group of men, and I stop the traffic, I'm talking about America now. Yep. And we stop all the traffic. We're very quickly going to meet some men who wear blue uniforms, have blue lights on their car, and we will discover they have no sense of humor. As a matter of fact, they have so little sense of humor that if we don't move, they will arrest us and take us away. Because commandeering the street is a political action. Now, if we pray after we do it, that's the prayer is religious, but it is preceded by a political action. So that's the way I read it. And this is the way I see it. It's already happening here in America. By the way, let me say something. I th one of the things that Muhammad, I compliment him on, is to create an entirely new form of war called civilizational war, jihad, civilizational jihad. Yeah. What is astounding about this form of war is there is no aspect of being a human being that is not used as a tool of war. Here we're talking about the use of prayer as a tool of war. Food is used as a tool of war. 
Being pregnant is used as a tool of war. Muhammad was the greatest warrior who ever lived. The reason I say this is, today, no one in the world died because of Napoleon, Caesar, or Alexander the Great. But someone died today because of Muhammad. So he created a brilliant form of war which uses everything as a weapon in this war. It is a civilizational war. He was, not, he was a genius who was not fully appreciated for his warrior abilities. I agree, and, and, and certainly on the same lines as Sun Chu. I often say that he must have read uh, The Art of War by Sun Chu. He was, he certainly did it all right. <laughs> well, again, with reference to Sun Chu, he wrote that before Muhammad. Um, there is a higher probability that Muhammad did read it because I've read the Sun Chu and I've studied it. And because I've read the Quran, the Sirah and... Um, the Hadith, you can also see that there is a correlation between that. And it's plain and obvious to see. It, it, it is very clear. He was truly a brilliant warrior. He was never discouraged. Yep. He would do whatever it took to win. There was nothing he would not do to win. And he was totally, he was totally devoted to the effort of jihad. I mean, he was a brilliant man. Now, it turns out he has other qualities, which I do not admire, but... I never denigrate my enemy. And by the way, Muhammad is the enemy of my civilization. Oh, I agree. So, but I never denigrate him. I think it is wrong to say, oh, such a politician, oh, he's stupid. He's not stupid. No. You may not like his positions. So I never denigrate Muhammad. I, matter of fact, in a strange way, I praise him. I also never agree with him either. No, well, I agree. Can I also say, uh, I'm not sure if you're going to agree with this or not, but... Certainly, my opinion is um, that just uh, as an equal warrior it is a guy called, who I, I believe is an equal warrior, is a guy called General Mattis. Um, and, and, he, and he has the ability to, 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 to use uh, fear and horror and return it. Um, not not to, to exacerbate it, but, but to return what they're offering. And that's what I like about him. Well, I, I think he's missing one critical thing. In the United States, we've fought two wars in Iraq and a war in Afghanistan, but we've never actually said who the enemy is. And Mattis has never called out the enemy as well. I do not know how you win a war if you never call out your enemy. I'm very clear on who the enemy is. It is a doctrine of Quran, Surah Hadith. It is the doctrine of Muhammad. Yeah. That, is what, that is the enemy. Sharia is the enemy. Here in the United States, for instance, we're experiencing the same thing you're experiencing in England, which is continued implementation of the Sharia. If you if you're in prison in England, I believe everyone gets halal food. Uh, you you well, you can have a halal food, but yeah, it, 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 you are you are right. That it, that it, it is much easier for them just to serve everyone halal food. We have a saying here in America: Jewish law forbids Jews to eat pork. Halal law says that no one eats pork. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the trouble. It is, that is a political action to tell me if I'm a prisoner, I have to eat your kind of food. It's like, wait a minute. Why? Why me? So, but anyway, but that's what I mean when I say they even use food as a weapon of war. Yeah. And by the way, it's a very profitable weapon of war. In Australia, we see that the use of halal certification brings, does this mean money in England? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. A lot of money. A lot of money. If I could put a 2 or 3% tax on the entire food bill of England, I'd be a rich man. 
Well, it's funny you should say that because that is also one of the judicial reviews that's going in after this one. Um, which is to prove, I mean, you obviously know the Magna Carta, you also know that we've got a Bill of Rights the same as the Americans. In fact, the American cousins took some of the elements of our Bill of Rights of 1688 and produced their own constitution from it. Um, I may say the best bits, um, <laughs> as usual. Um, so what I would say is this, that, that, that I have looked into that. We are doing a lot of research. There is one lady that is in discussion with us. And, and one of the things I want to say to you, Bill, um, obviously, you, 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 you're a professor, you've got a doctorate, etc. You're highly educated, you've been within the educational system. One thing that I always say to people, I haven't got a degree. What, one thing I always say to I am an engineer. What I say to people is this, passion beats degrees. If you've got a passion for something, you have a capacity to learn everything about that subject. Because you need and want to learn it. And, and it's different. Let me give you an example of this. Physics went under an explosion in the continent and in particular in England. This explosion of physics and chemistry was all done by people such as Sir Isaac Newton, Cavendish and others, Hooke uh, and others. These people were all self-taught in the area of physics because the physics they were developing wasn't being taught in schools. Yeah. The highest form of learning is self-education. Now, I bring this up because I'm criticized by saying, well, Bill, you studied physics and math. What do you know about Islam? Well, actually, I know a lot about Islam because I have this remarkable ability to read books and understand what I've read. Amazing. <laughs> You're exactly right. Part of my job, my old job, was in telecommunications and data communications. And um, to cut a long story short, I was known what my job uh, it was very technical but because I had an ability to communicate technical issues to non-technical people, I then had what's known as a sales engineer's role. So I would do the presentations and convey technical issues to people that are going to invest in a company. Because I had the ability to convey that and they would understand what they're putting their money into. So we've got a, it's, a, it's a similar, if you like, skill set because you just need to know... What, what level is that person on? How, mu how, how much does he know or she know? And how do I convey the message? That's it. And, and once you've conveyed that message, they buy into it. Or in our case, they realize this is not good and we need to solve this problem. By the way, one of the things that's unusual about my books is, and other current writers is, is that, look, I spent eight, I spent eight years as a professor in the university. I spent I spent 17 years in the university, all right? I know a lot about universities. And one of the things I know is most college professors want to be seen as intelligent. And so they write books that are intelligent. I'm not interested in being seen as intelligent. I want you to understand what I know. Exactly. And so that means I write in a way that is the most simple. I use simple sentences. I use as simple words as possible. I use simple concepts that are well-defined. So what we want to do is we want to educate people. You may have been a sales engineer, but really what you were was an educator. Well, exactly. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and again, I'm really pleased that you've mentioned what you've just mentioned with reference to simple, simplifying it. It's not because people are uh, simple. The structures of language can be quite complex. We all know that. I'm often pulled up, uh, not only on my accent, but on my pronunciation of words. I've got to the point now where I say, I don't really care. Do you know what I mean? Or not? And I go, well, yeah. Well, so why say anything? 
You know, if you know what I mean, what, and, and they're just being, uh, what I'll call them grammar Nazis. But, but on, the, on the, that side of the fence, what you've just, what you've just hit on that is, is quite simple. When you convey something, in English law, and bear in mind England is the mother of common law. That is why I say we are under attack. Common law is under attack. And because it's about the people, it's not about religion. We've separated religion. So, therefore, we are under attack. But the, the, the point I make to people is this, that in English law, the reason why English law is written simply is because it was, it was spoken to people. That's why there is um, the, the saying, there is, there, ignorance is no defence in law. Because law should be such simplified, simplified sentences and so easy to understand that you could speak it to a child and the child understands. And that, and that is what we're trying to convey. So it's not about people being, uh, you know, language structures and all that. It's literally about getting the message across to them. And even the English law and the common law is simplified to do just that. Well, if it's to be a people's law, it would help if the people could understand it. This seems obvious to me. One of the criticisms in America we have of the American tax code is, is that it is so vast that it is impossible, physically impossible. There's never been a human being in America who understands all the tax code. Right. You understand portions of it, but not all of it. And as a human being, I claim that title, I think that the law to be human should be able to be understood by citizens. Yeah. And that means to understand the whole thing. So that is a criticism I have of the American tax system is, I don't understand it. And I think that as a citizen, I should be able to understand my tax code. Well, again, I, w I won't get into politics on this, but, but one, of, one of the main principles of uh, President Trump was to simplify the tax code, to say you, people need to understand it. This falls under the heading of what we Americans call, duh. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. exactly. You're exactly right. Uh, um, but that's one of the things that I'm also pr promoting in, in, in England, is, to, is for us to, to put back what's known as the Hong Kong tax system, which is the simplest tax system in the world. Um, it's the best, and it's got 200 years of English law, common law, backing it up. But again, that's getting into a slightly different subject. What took us on to this was, was um, the, 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 the halal tax. If, you, if, if, if again and I'll express it to you, under the Magna Carta, for example, this is basic law that we have had for, in England certainly, for uh, hundreds of years. There should be no taxation without representation. And what we are express, expressly put into the court, that halal certification fees are a tax. And that, and that money is going in, there is no audit trail to show where that money's going, what organisations it's going, and, and in fact, in the trilogy, it actually states that, that that money can and must also go into jihad. That's the law. Because these organisations that collect the halal tax are uh, Sharia compliant, and part of the Sharia uh, compliance is they have to participate in the zakat, they quote charity tax, yeah. and the charity tax has seven uses, and one of those is for jihad. I mean, this is just as simple as one, two, three. Mm. Well, again, I agree entirely. Um, and, and again, the next element of um, 
what we're doing is, um, well, I think I've already told you that there's five phases to this. The first phase is what I'm doing now. So there are a number of elements that we are exposing to the high call. And again, the only way you can do this, and one of the things that I expressed to you is one, one of the remedies that you could simply ask a judge for, if you didn't want to cause too much upset, you could say, well, I'll tell you what I want. I want Dr. Bill Warner's um, books, this one, this one, and this one, and I want every MP, every Lord to read them. And, and at the end of it, they'll be tested. It's a, it's a simple remedy, and, and, and they'll say, well, okay. You know, if, that, if, that, if you think that helps the situation, we'll say, well, all we want is for our civilization to understand what it is. And it, I find that when people finally understand what it really is, not what they've been told it is, but what it really is, they all reach the same conclusion. Let me give you an example. Part of the Sharia is, is a man can beat his wife. The Quran says so, the Hadith says so, and the Sharia texts say so. I find that women don't want to be beaten. And once they understand that Sharia includes beating, they go, you know, that Sharia does not seem like it's something I want implemented. What they were told was, it was simply how Muslims practice their religion. But once they find out that it is also a law book that contains some laws, such as women don't receive as much as an inheritance, that she can be beaten, that the kafir may be killed in jihad, that the kafir should be subjugated as a demi, people go, you know, I don't think I want to be a demi. I don't think I want to be subjugated. I don't think I want... So... Here's what I'm saying, is that once people understand what it really is, what the facts of the matter are, and there are facts to be known here. When we first started talking here, I said the doctrine is found in the Quran, the Sirah, the Hadith. It is not found outside those and everything in that is Islam. Well, now we've made a precise definition. So now that we don't have to ask any experts anymore, we ask Muhammad, we ask Allah. Because here's the deal. Let's say that you have, let's say that you have the mayor of the city of London, who's a Muslim. Let's say that he says something about Islam, but it does not agree or can be found in the Quran, the Sirah, the Hadith, then he is wrong. But Bill, he's the mayor of London and a Muslim. He is wrong. Because only the only two people who speak the truth are the Quran and Muhammad. No one else speaks the truth of Islam. So we have a way to precisely nail down exactly what Islam is. By the way, I would like to talk about something here about the doctrine of Islam that we must mention because people are going to say, well, I know this Muslim and he's a good person, or I've heard these verses in the Quran and they're quite good. As a scientist, the most there were several things about the Quran, the Sirah, the Hadith, that struck me as very puzzling. And one of those was this, the nature of truth. Because what we find is, is that Islam is based on dualism. Everything has two meanings. Let's take the example of Muhammad, for instance. Muhammad was for 13 years a preacher of the religion of Islam. He preached the religion for 13 years. He did not participate in any jihad, and he converted about 150 Arabs to Islam, about 10 a year. So Muhammad was a peaceful preacher of the religion of Islam. That is true. But now then there's more truth to be found, because when he went to Medina, he became a politician and a jihadist. When he died after 10 years of jihad, he, every Arab in the peninsula was a Muslim. So what do we see? Muhammad was a violent jihadist, and was very successful. Muhammad was a preacher of religion and was a peaceful man. Well, Bill, which is it? Muhammad was a peaceful man and Muhammad was a jihadist. But those two things contradict each other. Yes, they do, and that is the nature of dualism. Two things are true simultaneously even though they contradict each other. 
The same is found in the Quran. There are two Qurans, an early Quran, which is peaceful, and some parts of it quite beautiful, then a latter Quran, which is very legalistic and very jihad-like. So this dualism means that most people, when they deal with Islam, want to say, well, here's a good part, so therefore, build the bad part you're talking about must be wrong, because if it's good, it can't be bad. Dualism says it's good and it's bad, but they contradict each other. Yes, and that is the nature of dualism. Do you see my point? I do indeed. And, 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 and that is, um, again, in law, that is um, a, a, a legal definition, dualism and abrogation. They, they are two legal de uh, definitions, and one and part of that is, is what's coming up in this case. So it's a very important point to bring up dualism, and it can be very confusing. It is confusing, but once you understand it, you realize, wait a minute, that explains everything. Because yeah. the good Muslim simply follows the Quran of Mecca. He does not follow the Quran of Medina. Now, the gentleman who's driving the bus down the sidewalk killing innocent Kafirs, He's following the Quran of Medina, not the Quran of Mecca. Yep. So you have peaceful Muslims. Are they real Muslims? They're as real as can be. But then we have Islamic State. Is that the term you all use for ISIS in England? Yeah, well, IS. You have Islamic State who implements all of the Quran, not just the first half of the Quran. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, that's why I've got the big headphones. But to be sitting here with the massive headphones, it's a bit... It, bearing in mind, this is a radio show anyway. Um, oh, we're a radio show. Yeah, so oh, I should have I should have worn my radio face. I brought my television face. <laughs> well, funny, funny, yeah, there's, there's a few a few comments I'll get on that one. Um, well, the answer <laughs> is we do publish the video, but that'll just go on the website and go out on you know on, on social media. But the actual radio show itself goes out uh, to a lot of people in the Commonwealth, and there's obviously and there's a lot of people in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. Uh, that are all listening to this, so or will be when it goes out um, live tomorrow night. Um, now, will they be able to understand my American accent? Yeah, well, uh, they they can understand my South London accent, so they must be able to understand yours. Your, <laughs> yours is quite a calm accent; it's, it's an easy to understand accent. Some some of the uh, New York accents are a bit more uh, difficult, and you have to tune in to some of the more southern accents <laughs> but uh yeah i mean again it's it, it, it's all uh about language really it's quite funny it, again in america i could tell you a funny story um when out well there's two occasions that i've used to work for an american company uh and i was out there and uh obviously i smoke uh cigarettes and i turned around to someone and said i'm just popping out for a fag well <laughs> like they was all looking at me you know and i was going What's the matter? And they said, you're popping out for a what? I said, a fag. And, they, and, 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 and I mean, someone with me said, he, cigarette, he means. So I went, yeah, <laughs> cigarette, you know? And, and I didn't, obviously, I didn't realise at the time that a fag meant what it meant. Um, and there was another issue once that I was on a stage and I was talking to about three to 400 engineers. Um, and there was a discussion that we was having on stage and I started to talk about the technical issues uh, basically of the internet and, and so I've started to describe what I call um, an internet device, this particular internet device. Uh, you call it uh, a router, I call it a router and because okay. I've started to, to call it a router, all of these engineers are giggling and I'm sort of looking around thinking, what's going on here? 
And one of the guys said, whispered in my ear, said, in the US, router means something different. And I went, right, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And they was all laughing because it was just one of them things that tickled them, do you know? But, but what was it Winston Churchill said that America and England were a nation, two nations d divided by a common language? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's about right, really. Yeah, but at least we can. And make that was each a man who knew how to use language. Yeah, we can make each other laugh. Um, so again, I'm not sure where we got to on there, but um, the dualism and the abrogation, uh, obviously the halal tax situation. There was something else. Um, that relates to that. I'm not sure in the structure where it comes, which is Sukuk or Sharia bonds, Sharia finance. Well, in America, if you sell municipal bonds, you're supporting municipalities. In America, I would also say that if you're supporting Sharia bonds, you're supporting Sharia. And what is my objection to Sharia? Well, Sharia includes me and in the Sharia, I'm supposed to be a demi, I'm supposed to be subju subjugated, I'm supposed to be the recipient of jihad. So uh, that's my objection to Sharia. I mean, why would I want to finance people who want a system who wants to harm me? I mean, this is kind of like, why would I lay down on a railroad track? I mean, I don't do that because I'll get cut in half. So I have, I have no use for Sharia finance. Right. And by the way, there's another thing about Sharia finance. Go ahead. They say, oh, you don't have to pay interest. No, you pay some sort of leasing fees instead. Yeah. It costs more to borrow money with Sharia financing than it does to straight interest financing. So I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute here. I'd rather pay interest that's low rather than a leasing fee, which is higher. Doesn't make any sense to me. Well, again, um, I'm going to mention something in, in specific to London, England. Five, uh, and possibly no, more now, of our mate, and I'm going to explain this situation to you. I'm sure you're probably already aware, but I'll explain it to you just so the viewers and the listeners understand as well. Under uh, Sukuk, Sharia bonds, five of our main administrative buildings in London have been purchased. That includes the temporary, um, while our actual parliament is refurbished, they, under Sukuk, have purchased... Uh, at Richmond House, which is is the temporary parliament, and that building now comes under Sharia finance and Sharia law and a Sharia lease. You are not allowed to criticise Islam within that building. You are not allowed to have alcohol in that building, and you are not allowed to eat pork in that building. And yet, that is our parliament. Do you mean so? Therefore, when I say that under Jewish law, Jews don't eat bacon, but under halal law, no one eats bacon. I would say you're only confirming what I say here. Why is it that the British want to subjugate themselves in such a matter? It is beyond me. It simply does not make any sense at all. I mean, I, I, I mean what you say there is nonsensical. Now, I know it's true because too many other things like this are true all throughout Europe and increasingly in the U.S. in which Islam means to submit. And what they're doing is they are submitting to the Sharia. Why would people do that? I mean, it is... And you know, I wonder how many of them even know they're doing it. Or if, could they're even capable of hearing it, even if we told it to them. One of the things I've learned in dealing with Islam is this. You can awaken a man who is asleep, but you will never awaken a man who is pretending to be asleep. Do you follow me? I do, indeed. And that is a very, very good sign. I like that one. 
I do like that one. Um, By the way, is, which is where 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 again, um, I use the term: are they are they ignorant, stupid, or complicit? And I'm talking about our own politicians. What, what, let me jump back a bit further there. One, one, um, well, there's a couple of things I'll say to you there about that. Without, there are two good points. Um, one was uh, the other building. There are five buildings, but the other one is known is known as the Admiralty House. So, They're so, both the Admiralty House. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a tragedy, Bill. What what can what can I say? And we are actually saying to people, what are you doing? You don't understand what you're doing. But are they complicit? You know. But so the second thing I was going to say is, and again, you've hit this point. Um, what what is the logic behind it? Why are they doing it? Why are these politicians? And and again, I don't want to bring in too many because this is an ideology, um, like Nazism. This also fits very well with what I describe as, and it is known as Fabianism. There are over 200 uh, MPs in London that are Fabians. Tony Blair was a Fabian. Um, his whole cabinet were Fabians, bar one. Um, Obama was a Fabian. Hillary Clinton is a Fabian. And the Fabian um, doctrine is very similar, and it's been going since 1884, is very similar to um, Islam. It's a very, a very close-knit, and, and if you look at the two things, the Muslim Brotherhood has what's known as a gradualisation strategy. Fabians have a gradualisation strategy. Fabians put communism into Russia. Fabians put communism into China. And they are very dangerous people, and, and 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 they stem from Britain. And I've always said to people, they are a political cancer. It it needs to be cut out and cast away. And it, it was it all stems from their master, if you like, which was Karl Marx. But when you look at, and again, you're probably a good person to speak to about this. I take it you've heard of the London School of Economics. Yes, I have. George Soros is one of its big graduates. Yeah, well, the London School of Economics is, uh, and it was funded by the Rockefellers, is a Fabian university. Um, there, the stained glass window that is it now within uh, the London School of Economics, and bearing in mind how economics gets right into the communities and all of our systems, the stained glass window depicts their logo, and their logo is a wolf in sheep's in clothing. clothing. I've seen it. Well, again, I've said to a number of people, um, you don't realise that, 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 that what's going on in this country is close, closely interrelated with Fabianism. And that's where you need to start really understanding what's going on. I say to people in America, it is not that Islam is so strong, but we are so ignorant and so afraid and so unorganized. And I think that is our problem is, is that, and again, I've been as a college professor and so what I'm doing is I'm winding up my life trying to teach people the truth of a system that will replace Fabianism. You see, 
there are the, in America, we have the left, and the left thinks that they can cut a deal with the devil. And that deal is this, is that they can be the hammer and Islam will be the anvil. And with it, they will take down Western civilization and they will replace it with a utopian vision. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Fabians and the left have never really studied Islam because once Islam takes over, they'll be the next sheep to be sheared, the next lamb to be slaughtered. And so there's a real problem there. And, uh, but it, Islam is not the problem. We're the problem. Our people who are in America, we have ministers who are what I call professionally ignorant. They would never dream of trying to convert a Muslim to Christianity. And so they are the problem. Yeah. Islam is not the problem. We have a, there is a disease, Islam, and it is a political disease. I say nothing about whether you go to heaven or hell if you're a Muslim. Have no idea. Wish you the best. But as a political system, it is a disease because it will destroy our constitution, your Magna Carta, and everything else. So before we draw this to a close, there's something here we need to explain to people, which is we've used the word jihad, or I have, but people need to understand that what's happening with Sharia is jihad itself. We need to understand the only favor that Islam does us for us is the jihad of the sword, because even the corrupt media in America, if you kill enough Americans, they'll finally say, well, it was another terrorism attack. And so they won't even use the word jihad. But if they would, they would still be incomplete in their description of the act. Because the most dangerous part of jihad is not that of killing people. The most dangerous part of jihad is the civilizational war, which changes the education system, changes the economic system, changes the cultural system, changes the names of streets, changes everything. Exactly. So the forms of jihad are sword, pen, mouth, money. You know, we haven't really talked about the money, but I can tell you right now that somehow or another money is being used inside of England to buy England's soul. And then finally, we need to deal with one form of jihad, which some people have heard about, which is the religious jihad, the spiritual struggle. And I have to say this just to try to be complete in our discussion. Jihad is described in the Hadith in 21% of Bukhari's traditions. That's about 1,400 traditions. They all describe jihad. But only 2% of them describe the religious jihad, the jihad of inner struggle. The other 98% are yeah. killing kafirs. So is Islam a peaceful, is jihad a peaceful struggle? Yes, it is, 2%. Is it killing kafirs? Yes, it is, 98%. So therefore, here we have another form of dualism. Muslims in America want to say, well, our jihad is the struggle to maintain a good attitude when I'm angry, or something like that. And that is 2% correct. Now, I told you I spent eight years in the university as a professor. If I give you a 2% on your test, you fail. Well, let, 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 let me just give you a pointer on that. I've been on a number of debates on television um, with what I would describe as Islamists or Mohammedans um, mm -hmm. who come across as the most nice people. Oh, wonderful. There's certain things that I can say to them and press their buttons and I know really where they're coming from. But they always say to me when I bring up the type of things which, to be fair, Bill, I've learned from you, um, <clears throat> I say these things to them and they say to me, well, I'm not a scholar. What are you, so when, since when have you been a scholar of Islam? And, and, I, and I just say to them, well, what, why do I need to be a scholar? To understand. I don't understand. You know, where are you coming from? By the way, if you were an illiterate Egyptian peasant, 
and you were a Muslim, they would never accuse you of not understanding Islam. Right. Right? Isn't it funny how every Muslim, no, no matter how ignorant they are, even if they're illiterate, oh, well, they understand Islam. But they would look at a man like me. I have studied Islam since I was 30 years old. I'm now 76 years old. I've studied Islam for over 40 years. I have a massive library on the subject. I've written 17, 12 or 15 books, I don't remember now, books on Islam, and yet you look at me and say, well, what could you know about Islam? What can I not know about Islam? Here's my challenge. I've, when I've been challenged this in public talks with a Muslim, I say, you show me the verse I cannot give an exegesis of. You show me the chapter in the Sirah I cannot understand. You show me a fatwa I cannot understand. You show me a hadith I cannot understand. I am challenging you. To, you say I don't understand it. Show me one thing I do not understand and do it now. Yeah. Do you know what they do? Go on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, they zip oh. it up. Yeah. Because oh, oh, oh. what are they going to do? Yeah. They do not want to challenge me in public. No, that's exactly right. And, and, and the reason for it is because we are propagating the message and one way or the other that message now, and a large part of that, to be honest with you, is what you do. So I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful that you spent that much. I wish, I wish in another way that you could have spent 40 years of your life studying something else that would have benefited the human race in a different way. But in my view, what you're doing is you're benefiting the human race to, to, to stop our civilization being destroyed, which is it's a, it's a good thing, it's a commendable thing, it's an honorable thing, but it's a shame. It's, it's a bit like when you say to someone, you know, it's a shame that we, you know, we had to meet under these circumstances when you're actually meeting at a funeral. And, and you, you know, it's just one of the things, good people get together, but sometimes, you know, it's like wars in the end. They they bring all the people together, all the all the intelligence to do what, to create destruction, and you just think, you know, we're we're if you like the antidote to what's going on there. And and to be fair, most of that, I mean, certainly what I propagate, there's only certain people that I trust, and and, and you're one of them. So you're very kind. No problem at all. And and, and again. Um, I'm grateful, and, I, and, and let me just say to you that you sent me over the PDF um, of your book, and that that has actually gone into the, um, the 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 judge. That was extremely helpful because we're not funded. We haven't got Soros backing us. Um, <laughs> we've crowdfunded the Judicial Review, so anything like that that I've got at my disposal, um, and, and that I can put right under the noses of people, is a, is a positive. Do you realize how powerful the truth is? Here I am, I'm an, I'm an old man, working out of my house, studied and writ written books. I'm, my funding is in my back pocket, okay? People don't throw money at me, and yet I'm opposing a system which is backed by untold billions of yeah. dollars. Yeah. You could fit all the scholars in America who deal with Islam on a large airplane, Islam has 1.6 billion people, and yet simply because of the fact that we speak the truth, we don't have the money, but we speak the truth, it's amazing what a spanner in the gears we are with as, with as small as we are and as unfunded as we are. Yeah. Imagine what would happen if we had a billion dollars. I agree entirely. I 100% agree. I mean, again, getting back to halal certification, that, that, that there has been an estimate from Australia 
Um, I'm, I'm not sure if this is Australian dollars, um, but of 5.1, today's rate at the moment, 5.1 trillion. And in Australian dollars, now you've got to look at that, that every element, you know, in all these different countries, and it's not just food, it's makeup. Um, oh, yeah. they, 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 are, they are putting this halal certification on everything. It is a tax. You know, and, that, and that's part, and that is obviously part of the issue. But again, that, that's uh, for another day. We are going to be doing a, um, um, a judicial review on that. But um, yeah, no, I'm grateful for everything that you've done. And again, I will look forward to your videos. I always do. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. No problem. And uh, we'll obviously let you know. I'm not sure whether or not you you can or would do an affidavit, which is basically you just set out to the to the to the court what you've done, how you come by it. You know, 40 years experience. This is the way. One thing that particularly interested me was the way that you that you um, separated the Quran and put it out on a on a table and to organise it in, into a structure that could be easily understood. That fascinated me because. I don't never hear anybody talk about doing that. Well, my whole goal is to, look, I'm a scientist. A scientist takes a complex phenomena and brings about an understanding that in the end turns out to be simple. Oh, it works like that. Oh, now I see. Yeah. And so when I viewed the Quran, it, was, it appeared to me that it needed a serious case of editing, not by changing anything, but by grouping it. Look, I simply... The Quran that I sell, I call the Reconstructed Historical Quran, because the Quran you buy in the bookstore is not the Quran of Muhammad. Right. Because it's not in the right time order. Yeah. So first off, you need to put it in the right chronological order, and then you need to look around and say, my word here, we're telling the story of, Mo of Moses 38 times. Well, let's take all of them and put them all together and tell it just one time in the best way. So what I want to do is to make, here's an interesting thing. People do not understand facts, but they understand a story, okay? If you can tell a story that illustrates the facts, they won't forget it. Well, it turns out the Quran that you buy in the bookstore doesn't have a story in it because it's been randomized. The Quran that I sell, which contains every verse, every word, I don't change anything, I just restructure it, I put it in the right time order. So the Quran that I sell has a story, and the story starts off with a hymn to God and ends with political domination of the world. It's a fascinating story, but... It can be understood. Once you read one of my Qurans, you can pick up any of them and understand them because I've restored the story that was in the original. Yeah. I'm not corrupting anything. I'm actually going back. I'm actually reforming the Quran. And as a scientist, I found this was just, this is a strange understanding of me. I found it was a lot of fun because now then it all made sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. So if you was to put, to finish this, if you was to put any books to um let's say the supreme court in 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 london england where there's now uh 11 high court judges what books would they be to put before them quran sirah hadith simple quran muhammad and the unbelievers and the political traditions of muhammad and throw in the little sharia book just to show how it actually works out in practice once you know those you now understand the entirety of islam there may be details you're yet to understand, but that is it. Let's go over this again. The doctrine of Islam is found only in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. If it's in those three books, it is Islam. If it is not in those three books, it is not Islam. Right. It's, it's a really simple thing. Yeah. 
people try to make it too complicated. No, I agree. And I like simple, which is why I like constitutional law. You can't get any simpler. Hopefully. It's, it's either a right or it isn't a right, and that's it. Okay, good. <laughs> By the way, let me say that I really appreciate a person like yourself who's taking his own time, his own energy, and what you're doing is a work of gratitude that all humanity should be grateful for. Uh, because what you're doing is a great charity used in the best sense of the term. I right, agree. Thank you very much, Bill, for that. Um, again, um, I often say to people, the most valuable thing that God ever gave us was time. And, and anyone who devotes their time uh, to something is giving more than anyone else. Because, because time means more than money. Time means Time is what God gives you on this planet that's it so if you use a big chunk of that time up doing something in pacific that helps people that's a good thing i hope so yeah. thank you so much for your time yeah. bye-bye and you okay thanks very much bye <laughs>